Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to invite our kids, K through fifth grade, to meet their teachers in the back. They're going to head to their class right now. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. Research actually shows that kids who worship with their family members are more likely to develop a vibrant faith. That is the reason that we invite them to worship with us every single week, and, uh, and that is important. And in addition to that, I'm glad that they were able to worship with us this morning as well for Jared's final Sunday with us, because I know that the kids have developed a love for him, and I know that my kids have developed a love for him. So thank you for not just leading worship for adults, but leading worship for our kids as well. So. I'm going to continue on with my sermon. I will start crying about Jared later. So if you will turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17. We have been in this verse for quite a while. This is the final week of our brand new series. But I want you to uh, read this with me again. If you want to read it out loud, let's do that. That was kind of fun last week. So let's just read this out loud one more time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Now, this passage is found in a book called 2 Corinthians, and it's really a letter uh, by a man named Paul. And he was writing it to a church, and this church was really struggling with what it meant to follow Jesus. What does that look like? What is that all about? And Paul wrote this letter, and, and Paul himself was a changed man. He experienced, as we talked about in the first week, an incredible change, turning, turning from someone who actually was going out trying to kill Christianity to someone who himself became a follower of Jesus. And literally, within a moment, his life had completely turned around. And, and he really went around and he had to defend this change to people who looked at him and said, who were Christians, who said, there's no way that you are now a believer, that you follow Jesus. There's no way we would ever accept you. And then he had on the other side, he had these people who knew him for who he was and what he had been, and they look at him and they say, well, there's no way that you could have possibly changed and become this person. And this is really the reality of any of us who follow Jesus. That there are people who know who we were before we follow Jesus that look at us and say, really? <laughs> you? Are you sure? Did it actually stick? You know, they want, people wonder, how is that possible that this change has occurred? So we have been on a 19-week series. Believe it or not, I looked back and realized this has been a 19-week journey that we have been on to get to this place where we're talking about this change, this incredible change that takes place. Now, we started this with a series that we called Finding Your Way Back to God. And in that series, we talked all about that every one of us has desires. We have desires for purpose. We have desires for love. And we have desires for meaning. And all of us have those desires. But at one time or another, we try to fill those desires. We look for different ways to fill that. We looked at this story of a kid who took everything he had from his father, ran away from home, and tried to find those desires on his own. And what he found was as he tried to, to get those desires to live that out, he ended up losing everything. And he ended up making a mess and a wreck of his life. And so as we look at that story, we see 
the reality in all of us that is the same thing about us. That as we long for purpose, as we long for meaning, as we long for love, we go to try to fill those things on our own. And it really doesn't matter if you're a teenager, a young adult, a middle-aged person, or somebody on the higher end of the age spectrum. We all have tendencies, don't look at your neighbors, we all have tendencies at some point or another to fill those voids. And when we fill them apart from God, we make a mess. And we say, I wish I could have a do-over. I wish I could start over. I wish I could do this again, and I wouldn't do that. So we, we found that those, those desires are actually filled in good ways, that God gave us those desires. God wants us to have purpose and meaning. God wants us to experience love. But as we looked at it, we realized that God wants to experience that through Him. And so He invites us to find our way back to Him to experience those things. But in the process of that, in the process of finding our way back to God, we then found out that God is actually the one who is desperately searching and desiring a relationship with us. The best picture in that story of this young man, and, and we find this story that Jesus taught, was that this young man went away, ran away, took everything he had, ruined his life, said, I'll go back to my father. And when he gets there, he sees that his father has been waiting for him the whole time. That his father is running down the road chasing for his son because he's so excited he's back. And this is the picture of our Heavenly Father. That no matter who you are, that your God is desperately searching and waiting for you. And then we found that from there, we don't just find our way back to God. It's not just that we get to come back home. There is another invitation that comes to follow, to actually have a relationship with God. Jesus looked at people, every kind of person. The phrase anyone comes back over and over again. And Jesus said to rich people and to poor people, to religious people, to non-religious people. He just looked at all of these people and he said, follow me. And what we found is we looked at that and we said that he followed me, we found a phrase that early Christians would use about themselves. And this was, may I be covered in the dust of my rabbi. The people would use this term, may I be covered in the dust of my teacher. May I follow so closely behind them that they would even kick up the dust from their feet and it would cover me. And that is the invitation that we have been given, no matter who we are, to follow him. But then we found out that the problem is that our excuses are often what get us in the way of following. So we talked about our past, our doubts, our own insecurities. Those things tend to be the things that we say, well, why would God want anything to do with me? When in fact he desires everything for you. We say, I don't have anything that I could possibly bring to the table. And he says, I need everything thing that you are. What about my sin? He looks and he says, the deeper you are in it, the more qualified you are to follow. The thing that does keep us from following, though, are our desires for comfort, convenience, and control. So then we, we found that to follow Jesus, 
we tend to put up these obstacles that God says, these aren't even obstacles, these are prerequisites for following. When in reality, the thing that keeps us from it is that desire that every single one of us has for comfort, for convenience, and control. So there is a challenge. There is a part of us that says, I have to accept the reality that God is in control. I have to accept that I don't get to run everything in my life. When I follow Jesus, things begin to change. My comfort doesn't matter anymore, that there is something else bigger going on that I'm invited to be a part of, but it means that there's a little bit less of me here. So then we turn the corner and we got to this point that if we said, if we, if we got to the place where we said, well, I can follow, then we found out that something incredible, something amazing happens to us, and it's in this verse. So listen to this again. From finding our way back to God to following Him, And then we get to what happens when we choose to follow. And Paul says, therefore, if anyone, and please don't miss this, because over and over and over again, this single word has come up. And I said, out of all of the words in all of Scripture, this is probably the most important words. Anyone. If anyone anyone. The story of Scripture finds its peak in the story of Jesus. But that story is of a God who created out of His incredible love and people discovering that. Seeing His love go wider and wider and wider to this world. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone the new is here. And so we started out with the new year. And we said, all of us look for change, right? We get to the new year. And this is why everybody, this, this is why if you're watching TV, all they are selling are treadmills and stationary bikes. Because everybody wants change. Everybody needs change. This is, this is the reason that marketing in the new year is all about newness. But we found that that, that doesn't hold. Because honestly, if you bought a stationary bike, it's probably a good chance that it has hangers on it with clothes right now. That's just what tends to happen. We imagine, we think that we can bring about change in our lives, but the reality is that that's usually not the case. And we realize, we know that there is way more to change than just physical change. We know that there is something, the essence of who we are, that change needs to take place. We don't know exactly how to find it. And so in this passage, we discovered that change is real. That change takes place, though, because of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his work in our lives. So we looked at this phrase, in Christ. And we found that the idea is that Christ literally wants to dwell within us. That God loves, he desires us so much, he he has such a... um, such a love and an acceptance for who we are that He desires to dwell within our hearts. Now imagine that for a second. Because sometimes we still say things like, I'm I'm not good enough for God. Do you realize that in the Scriptures that God is saying, I want to live in your life. I want to be in your life. I want to dwell within you. 
Now, some of us struggle with that because we think, what does that mean? Where does he dwell? And we say things like, well, Jesus is in my heart. And we go, how is that even possible? What does that even? You and I both know that regardless of if you're a person of faith, you sense and you know that there is something bigger going on than just skin and bone, that there is something to who we are. And within that essence of who we are, there is a place for Christ. The, the question we have to ask ourselves, and the thing that we brought out of that was, we have to begin to say to ourselves, what kind of room am I making? What space am I making? The analogy we used was of a house. If someone comes to stay in your home, you don't give them the garage. You give them the best room in the house where they can come and stay. You don't tell them, oh, well, just stay in the garage and I'll put your meal out for you out on like the little step there, you know, that leads into the house. And you can just stay out there. We'll get you a few more blankets because it's kind of cold, but you'll be fine. You would never do that with people. Maybe your mother-in-law, but not, no, my, not most people. You would invite them to the nicest, the warmest spot in your home. So we said, look, look, are you making room available? And then finally we discovered that we can't simply wish for change to take place. And what we found is in the next phrase here that the new creation has come. We found that the resurrection of Jesus literally points to new creation, restarting something new. Every one of us looks around the world and says, something is wrong with this world. I hope you don't do that when you look at your friends and say, wow, something is truly wrong with this world. But we have a tendency to know. You can feel it every day. You look at everything that's happening around you say, something isn't right. Something is wrong. Something needs to change. The scriptures, the way that is talked about, is that there is a new creation that God recognizes this world is broken. This world needs to be very good. The resurrection of Jesus points to a new creation bursting right into the middle of this one. This is the reason that church should not suck and it shouldn't be boring, because we have a message. That Jesus came to this world, not simply just for you and me to experience eternal life, but for life to literally come to this world, for new creation, for change to burst into this world. And then we found that as we accept Christ into our lives, that he sets a foundation of this new creation, and he invites us to take a shovel and a hammer and some nails and to join him in building that. That is an incredible invitation. Especially when you think that it is an invitation to broken, messed up people. This is a God who sees us for who we are and says, I love you. And I want you to be a part of what I am doing in this world. To do that, I want you to be made brand new. Because then as we closed last week, we said that as we look at the world, we want it to be what? We want it to be more giving, more loving, more peaceful. We said that if we see the change that we want in the world, that we are called to be the change that we desire to see in the world. So, with 
all of that 19 weeks in mind, I want us to close with this question. How? How do we participate? How do we follow? How do we become a part of what God is doing through Jesus in our world? How does that promise come true? How does new become the very definition of our life? Because I think all of us desire something new. All of us desire something better. All of us desire when we hear that God is doing something amazing and invites us to it, we all, but how? How do I participate? So, I want us to turn to a story in the life of Jesus where these questions were really being asked of him. And they were asked by a man named Nicodemus. It's found in John 3, and this is what it says. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Now there is a lot going on in this passage. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this passage. There's a lot of confusion going on in this passage. But let's just take a glimpse, let's pull some layers back, and let's see what we discover. First of all, it says this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named, named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. So, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was incredibly respected in his community, and he was a Pharisee. He was incredibly well-educated. He was a religious leader. But there's a, a piece here that we have to look at. It says that he came to Jesus at night. He's trying to understand more. He's trying to figure out what Jesus is all about. And this isn't just coincidence that this is in here. The writer of this puts this here because he's trying to say, hey, look, I want you to understand something that's going on. When he points to him coming at night, the, the idea is that night is like this representation of not understanding, of not seeing things clearly, of being confused. And there's another piece about Nicodemus that's really fascinating. His name means conqueror, literally taking something by force. That's exactly what the Pharisees were. They had this idea. They had this understanding about faith. They thought, if we just try harder, if we just look at, at the rules and we just make them as strict as we possibly can, we try as hard as we can, somehow we will gain God's favor. If we try harder and harder and harder, somehow we are going to get God's love and gain His favor. But we have to try as hard as we can. Now, isn't that kind of a relief? Think about this. 
this incredibly well-educated religious leader wasn't sure. He had questions. He knew that he didn't have it all together and he couldn't do it on his own. He knew he needed something more. Now, how many of us have felt that at some point in our lives? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have the answers here. And then how many of us have tried really hard and said, maybe if I just do this, this will impress God enough. Maybe if I just do these things, or on the other hand, some of us say, if I just don't do these things, maybe that will impress God. So we have a tendency to try to know more, understand more, and if we just, uh, just follow the rules better, we didn't do these things over here, maybe God would love me, maybe that would be good enough. And so all of a sudden we get to this story. Look, here is a guy. Maybe he knows the scriptures a little bit better. Might be a little more educated. But he is just like you. He doesn't have a clue what to do about this Jesus thing. He isn't sure about this. He has some questions. And he's been fighting his whole life to try to get God to love him. What does Jesus say? So here's what, here's what he says. He goes to Jesus and he goes this. He says, Rabbi, which is teacher. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He says, look, people say stuff about you. You know, Jesus, you seem very interesting. You seem legit. Okay? Most of us would say this. I don't know a whole lot of people that walk around, look at the life of Jesus and say, Jesus seemed like a pretty awful dude. Nobody says that. Even people who are atheists look and say, if Jesus is real, he was a good guy. There's something about him. The way that Nicodemus says it is, God must be with you. There is something different about you, and I can't quite figure out what it is. So Jesus replies in the most clear answer he possibly could. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus answers just like you would. How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I try to imagine this conversation taking place. We take away, because we, we think of Scripture, you know, we kind of read it like the Bible guy, you know. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you. You know, I mean, well, that's how we put it, right? But this is a conversation. Jesus looks at him and he says, very truly I tell you. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus goes, what are you talking about? I am not going back in there. I got enough mommy issues, okay? I'm going to go see my counselor now because I don't know what you're talking. I don't even want to think about that I was even conceived, okay? I just showed up on this earth. I didn't want to think about being born. He's like, all right, number one, how do you get born again without going back in there? Okay, that's not possible. Number two, I don't want to talk about it. Nicodemus is tripping out. 
Jesus gets it back online. He's like, hold on, come here for a second. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Now, I don't, I don't want you to miss this part. We talk about this all the time because this matters. This is the key. The kingdom of God is the life that Jesus talks about that he wants to give us. It's the way that this world is supposed to be. It's where love and joy and peace and unity and forgiveness come from. It's how God meant for the world to be. And sometimes, sometimes, we see glimpses of it. When we move away from ourselves and towards each other, we see glimpses of it. Jesus told us to pray for it, to be a part of it. It's the creation he talked about that is bursting into this world. It's that invitation we have to grab a shovel, to build the foundation, and to create this place. This is the tug that Nicodemus felt in his heart when he said something is different about you. Something is different about the way you live. I want some of that. It's why you feel a tug in your heart that something isn't right. Something's not quite the way that it's supposed to be. So Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're already old? You can't enter a second time. Jesus answered, I tell you, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, being born of water and spirit is this idea that the stuff that defined you and me before Jesus gets washed away and gets replaced. The idea that who we were, the stuff that defined our lives when we, when we lived for ourselves, that that gets washed out and there is a void that gets filled, that gets that place that gets restored within us. Now, in the life of the church, we celebrate this first picture that Jesus gives. When he says this, he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. Now, there is conversation. What's he talking about? Is he talking about birth? I mean, is he talking like amniotic fluid or something? Is that what he's discussing here? And there's debate. There's wonder. Maybe that's what he meant. But when we look closer at this, we see these two parallel pieces. We see this, and they almost go right together. It's not sort of like there's, you have to be born of water, there's space, spirit. It's like there's this kind of thing that happens together. There's this piece that he's pointing to that happens. We celebrate the first image of this, this 
washing away of all this old stuff in our life, the stuff that defined us before. We celebrate that with the act of baptism, which is an ancient way. Jesus himself was baptized. And even before the time of Jesus, people were baptized. It was a symbolic way of saying, the stuff that defines me now is washed away and I am made brand new. In religion, it was a part of just who they were. People would actually join the Jewish faith. People who weren't Jewish would come to the Jewish faith and they would, they would have these things they would have to do to become Jewish. And they would look at it and say, okay, you are going to be baptized. You're going to go under the water and you're going to wash yourself of all this old stuff, the stuff that defined who you were. All of that goes away. You come out ready, clean, brand new, restored. And so then, this began to be this thing that people began to say, we need this, this is something, this is important. And then Jesus was baptized, then he told his disciples, now you go baptize people. Because there is something that happens when we physically remind ourselves of something that happens within us in a spiritual way. There's something that happens when we take a spiritual thing and we attach a physical thing to it. That's why we talk about following or walking behind Jesus. We want to think in terms of actually doing something physical. It has meaning, it has purpose. Baptism is an act. It is a physical act that has a spiritual dimension to it that reminds us that we are being washed. Now, there's even a bigger piece, though. Because with Jesus' death and resurrection, it gets an added piece to it. That now what it says is, not only do you wash away what you were before, you join Jesus in his death. That the old is dying. And like Jesus, you are raised from the death. And you are given brand new life. For some of you, you have experienced a moment of baptism. And we're not baptized over and over and over again. Most people do it one time. It's incredibly powerful when you do it as an adult, which is why here at Southeast, we invite people, even if they were baptized as infants, to, as an adult, be baptized as an adult. Because it is your public profession of your faith publicly saying to your church family, to your friends, to the world that is going to say there's no way you possibly changed, saying to all of them, I am dying to what was before. And I am new. And I am reborn in what Christ is making me. That is a powerful, powerful picture. Now, I want to invite you to do that. If you have not been baptized as an adult, I want to invite you to follow Jesus in baptism, to experience the physical picture of the spiritual reality that takes place in our lives and be baptized. Several ways you can tell me about that. The card that we have on the seat, if you just take it and you put your name and contact information on the back, you just put, I want to be baptized. Stick it in the box, and I will contact you tomorrow. You can email me, talk to me after. We've got the, the lunch today, so what a great opportunity to come up and say, I think I want to be baptized. Let's do that. We will get out the horse trough, we will set it up here, and we will baptize people. 
and I'm serious. If there is a part of you that is considering, if you're, if you're saying, I, I'm nervous about it, still come talk to me. This is something you do not want to miss. This is something I want you to do. I want you to be a part of this. Now, the second piece. Then Jesus talks about the Spirit. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the Spirit. So if something is washed away and there is a void there, something has to take its place. Some people say, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. And they start to follow Jesus, but there's a void in their life that they fill back up with all their own stuff again. And we see these people who tend to just sort of move and drift away again, back into their own place, because they didn't replace it with God. So when we read this passage and it says, in Christ, we talk about indwelling, we talk about the Holy Spirit living inside our lives, we talk about God taking up residence in our lives. This is what Jesus is talking about, that everything is washed, there is now a void. You need to replace it with the Spirit of God in your life to guide and direct you and to help you experience that change. Because we already know, every single one of us knows, change is impossible on our own. There is no way to do that on our own. We invite God to live in our lives. He pushes us, directs us, convicts us, moves us, changes us. And every day, every day we wake up, God, what do you want to do with my life today? Imagine what would happen in your life if you woke up every morning and you said, I want your spirit within me to direct my life. Move me where you want me to go today. Make me compassionate about the things that you want me to be compassionate about. Fill me with your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy. Do you see how the world could begin to change? This is what happens when people get beyond simply saying, I think Jesus seems kind of cool. That's great. To saying, I want Jesus to live in my life. I want to experience being made brand new. So today, we are going to physically respond to that idea. We're going to respond through the act of communion. Jesus sat with his disciples. Can you imagine? He's sitting with his disciples just before, just before he knows he's going to end up on a cross. That he is going to die for them, for us, for all of this world. And he looks at his disciples and he says, look, look, see this bread? This bread is like my body. It has been broken for you. Take and eat it. Remember this. And then he takes the the wine and he says, look, look, this is like my blood that has been poured out for you. Take it and drink it and remember. In that moment, he does a couple things. He reminds them and he reminds us that every time that we sit at this table, We are reminded that Jesus Christ is our nourishment. That he fills that void in our lives. So today, we take communion and we do this. We are reminded that he provides everything that we need. So in this moment, there's a couple things I want us to do. We're going to stand together. We're going to pray together. We're going to move to these tables And we're going to take communion together as a community. Okay? 
As you do that, there's a couple things I want you to think about. Number one, I want you to begin to think about that place where you've said, I've decided to follow Jesus, that I have decided that I'm going to follow him. And I want you to ask yourself, if you've decided to follow Jesus, have you really said, in everything that defined me before, I'm okay with it being gone? That I'm okay with making room in my life for Jesus? Or is there still stuff that's stuck in the way? And begin to pray about that. What does it look like to truly be washed of all this stuff and accept that invitation that God has given to each and every one of us? And the second thing I want you to do as you come up to take communion is to say, God, there is a place in my life that I need you to fill. I recognize that Jesus Christ is my nourishment, that he fills my life with goodness. And today, as I take this communion, as you take communion, recognize the reality that God wants to live and dwell and nourish your life. Only then, when that becomes a reality in our lives, does this verse actually become true. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now let's pray. God, we are so thankful that your story is not a story of an angry God. We thank you that your story is not a story of a God who is simply looking for people to please him. But that your story is a story of a God of invitation. Of an almost reckless invitation. That God, you would choose people like us to come and to follow you. So God, in in this moment, as we pause in the hectic reality of our life, God, we ask that you would make this a holy moment, a set-apart moment, and that in this space, in this time, in this moment right here, God, that we would hear that invitation from you to find you to follow you, to be made brand new. God, we recognize the depth of a moment like this. We recognize the seriousness of the questions that we have to ask ourselves. But God, we also realize That the invitation you give, you give with a smile. You give with open arms. You give with a loving heart. Because, God, you desire to give us life that we can't even begin to imagine. So, God, help us in this moment to see you as our Heavenly Father with arms open wide. A Heavenly Father who isn't looking to discipline, but a Heavenly Father who is looking to party with us to celebrate with us, 
bring us into your family to help us to see that you want to change this world with us. That, what an incredible invitation. So God, right now, we just pause. And we worship you. We take communion together. And we say, God, wash us and fill us. In your name we pray. Amen.